Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 23 of Yes BS. At least I think it's episode 23. I'm, I'm kind of losing count now. We should probably have checked that, to be fair. We should, but this isn't a professional operation we're running here, Paul. Yeah, if you haven't picked that up after 22 episodes, <laughs> then... <laughs> and to be honest, after last week, where I lost 6-0... I know, yeah. I haven't meant to ask about that. Have you recovered yet? Uh, just about. Uh, it's absolutely... Full body cast for a month. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely devastated. I can't believe I actually... <sighs> 6-0. I genuinely didn't think it would ever happen. Although you were true to your word, you did actually buy us a pint that yes. night. Yes. I'm a man of my word, if anything else. So I'm going to deliberately throw every game now. <laughs> just to try I'll, and... I'll take it, I don't <laughs> mind. I'll take the glory. You take the glory over three pounds. <laughs> yes. It'll take to buy me a pint. Yes, absolutely. But on that note about being professional, mm-hmm. quick introductions. All right, okay. Uh, I am Anthony Edmondson known as VoiceOver Tony, and with my good friend... Paul Anthony Jones. Who is Mr. Haggard Hawks, author extraordinaire and purveyor of facts and things. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, like it's I've done eight books now. I should, yes, I should, I should start calling myself an author, really. God. <laughs> if that many trees have to die for... <laughs> <laughs> to be left in a warehouse. For your vanity. Unsold. <laughs> for the rules of this game as well, basically, me and Paul, we try and tell each other three facts. It could be true. It could be lies, and we get points if we guess correctly. Yeah, but if you'll pick it up busy, we go along. We yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, are you ready for the first fact? Oh, is it oh. Roman history? <laughs> no, I told you, I'm not doing any Roman facts. Okay. No, not a full fact anyway. Oh, all right, okay. In season four, because last week we had a couple of little, little ones. Mm-hmm. This one, I had to think long and hard about this one, mm-hmm. because I am absolutely determined to get you with a pet funeral fact. <laughs> Right, okay. Now, I think this is the third or fourth one that's come up. Yeah, because we've had Mozart's. Oh, do, oh I've written them down. Oh, right, I've okay. gone back over. Right. Don't you worry. This is a professional operation. <laughs> it is. We've had Mozart, who had a pet starling. Yeah. Called Starling. Yes. Uh, who had a, an elaborate pet funeral. Mm. Um, Andrew Jackson had a swearing parrot. That was the other one. Yeah, I couldn't remember that one. And then I came up with a lie about a squirrel giving a eulogy, <laughs> which was terrible. Like, why did you ever think that would work? I thought it was so ridiculous that it would you'd, it would trick you. But it's a squirrel giving a eulogy. <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to that one and just enjoy the madness it of it. Yeah. But before I go on to the pet funeral fact, I wanted mm-hmm. to tell you about some famous pets and their deaths in history. Oh, okay. Oh, we're starting off on a nice light <laughs> note. Pet deaths. <laughs> Welcome to Yes and BS, everyone. <laughs> um, do you know Anne Boleyn had a little lapdog? Oh, this rings a bell. Now, she... I thought you might know this. I'll give you a bonus point if you can remember the name of the lapdog. Oh, I don't know the name. But ah. is, is it not in a famous portrait of her? I think it is, yes. Am I thinking of the right one? I think you are. Like a little white dog or something. Yes, it was a little... I don't know exactly what breed it was, but mm. it was a little little dog. Right. And she called it Percoy. Percoy? Which was medieval French for why. Ah, so like, like pourquoi. Pourquoi. Ah, right, but okay. Medieval French, Percoy. Right, okay. And she called it Percoy because it had such a quizzical expression. <laughs> right. And it poor... Is this true? Yes, this is true. Okay. Poor little Percoy um, fell from a great height and died. Oh, God, why? 
I do. <laughs> you ruined the joke. That was that was like the whole joke. Like, oh, oh, sorry. Kokoi, okay. maybe he might have shouted as he fell from this great height. Oh, okay. Well, now that that one's ruined, we're going to move on to the next pet death. <laughs> so, what? Uh, hang, hang on. No, where did he fall from? Just a great height. What's it like, like a cliff or was it like a balcony? Some, somewhere a balcony or somewhere around one of the palaces I'd imagine. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. So anyway, uh, next pet, um, Prince Rupert of the Rhine. Right. Um, Is that the name of the pet? <laughs> <laughs> it's the name of the person who owned the pet. Right. Uh, he was from Bohemia, but he kind of decided to disown his noble life and become a mercenary. He was also a privateer for the French at one point. Oh. But during the English Civil War, mm-hmm. he fought for the Royalists as a cavalry commander. Oh, right. Okay. And he gets about a bit. He does. He's got a very exciting life overall, but we're talking about his pet. Right. He had a little uh, hunting poodle called Boy. <laughs> First of all, hunting poodle. <laughs> like, <laughs> If you've ever seen a proper full-sized poodle, they're massive. They are big, but they're still quite sort of prim. Well, I wouldn't say it was a hunting dog. Doesn't stop them hunting, though, I does it? I suppose not, no. But little boy, the hunting poodle, he had a widespread reputation and he was trained to urinate on cue whenever he was told the name of an enemy commander called Commander Pym. <laughs> right. So if Prince Rupert shouted, Commander Pym, his dog would urinate. On the nearest thing okay. that he could find. So he'd cock his leg and urinate on it. Right. And the parliamentarians thought this dog was actually Satan in disguise and immune to bullets because he seemed to survive every battle he was in. Right. Until he was actually killed at the Battle of Marston Moor in 1644. A poodle was? Yes. This is an unusual... Is this true as well? Yes, this is true as well. Right, okay. So he wasn't immune to bullets and apparently not Satan in disguise. Oh, well, that doesn't need explaining. I didn't realise he was actually the devil. Wow. Oh, poor little boy. Yeah. So there's a couple of little um, pet deaths of history. Just what a, what a of... lovely note to start the episode on. <laughs> what are we going to talk you about know, now? I always bring up the cheeriest of facts. But did you know that dogs can get tuberculosis? Where are we going next? <laughs> so we're going back to 1920. Okay. And we're in Newark, New Jersey on August the 1st. And from this point on... Mm-hmm. This is yes or BS. Okay. Poor little Jimmy, a canary, has <laughs> has just died. Okay. Poor Jimmy, he strangled on a watermelon seed. It was too big and it went down the wrong way. Poor little Jimmy died. Uh, Jimmy the canary was owned by a local cobbler called Emidio Russomano. <laughs> right. Why, why are you telling this like an audio book? <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to plug my my voiceover business. Yeah, so. true. Okay. So Emidio so loved little Jimmy the Canary, he wanted to organise a proper funeral for him. So when the day came, he organised a white hearse to carry the body, two coaches, and a fifteen-piece brass band that played funeral dirges during a two-mile procession through the Italian section of Newark. Mm-hmm. About five hundred people followed the tiny coffin, which was. About six by twelve inches, so it's about a foot long. A foot long? How big is a canary? It's about <laughs> a sparrow. Well, he had to make the coffin bigger so it could be carried by pallbearers. So there were four pallbearers. Four? <laughs> yeah. A foot long? What? Uh, four pallbearers? Yes. And apparently the coach drivers had tears in their eyes. But not because of the sadness of the event. Because we're trying not to laugh. Because they were laughing so <laughs> much. 
at this whole charade going on. Right. And the pallbearers were also laughing that they almost dropped the coffin. Right. And that is how little Jimmy the Canary was put to rest. Right. In August 1920. I have far too many questions here. Okay. <laughs> Feel who, free. To who ask was away. the bloke? Um, Emidio Russomano, a right. cobbler. Right. Um, how. He was a cobbler. Yes. This sounds like quite an expensive do. Hmm. He was quite a wealthy cobbler. I mean, well, you'd have to be. A cobbler. Well, I don't know about 1920s cobblers so much, but I don't think it was a it was a skilled profession. So you needed. Yeah, uh, that that sounds like a state funeral. <laughs> well, it's if he saved up his money. I mean, he, I think he was in his fifties, maybe at the time. Right. Um, okay. Medio. And this is just a normal canary. No, well, it was not, it not was, owned by anyone famous. No, just owned by Emilio Russomano. So it was just a bloke. It was supposedly famous in the neighbourhood for having a lovely singing voice. <laughs> well, so are you. <laughs> but that's not like there's. It's not like it's a, a dog that's rescued someone from a house fire. This nope. is just a canary, and it's choked on a watermelon seed. Yes. Because it was too big. And he's distraught, yes. so he gives it a, basically a state funeral. How did mm. he feel about everybody laughing? Um, it, that wasn't documented. Where have you got this story from? The newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> Our local newspaper? <laughs> yes, it was in the uh, Newcastle Chronicle last night. <laughs> right, okay. And how many people were involved? A 15-piece brass band? Yeah, 15-piece brass band and about 500 people turned out. Where? Why? Well, it's uh, you would though if you heard there was a canary funeral going on in town, you'd head out, you'd head out to see it, wouldn't you? But, uh, no. <laughs> what? I don't want to see that. Of course you would. A canary funeral. Where did they bury it? Um, it doesn't say. There's a, such a gap of details here. <laughs> it doesn't say. So the what, they just like parade it through the town, get to the pier, and toss it in the sea. <laughs> it was flush it down the toilet. <laughs> It was definitely buried somewhere. Right. Okay. In the sewers. <laughs> <laughs> First open drain they found. Down Jimmy went. Oh. So, uh, right. It's a canary in a foot long box. Yes. Now, a canary, as I say, is about f- three, four inches long. They're if, tiny. If that, maybe. It's about the size of a sparrow, aren't they? Mm. Uh, but it's in a 12 foot box. No, a, a one foot, a, twel- a one twelve foot, inch twelve inch box. Right. <laughs> 12 <laughs> foot. Not it's not an ostrich to try to bury Paul. <laughs> one tiny bird rattling around in like some huge chamber. Twenty pole bearers, <laughs> ten on each side. Uh, so it's a a twelve inch coffin. Yes, carried between four people. Yes, because they he wanted pole bearers, so they had to make the coffin big enough to be carried on shoulders. But even then, like 12 inches is not... Like if I've got the, the corner of a 12-inch ruler on one shoulder, the person with the, the other corner on their shoulder is going to be right behind They us. were very bunched together. You'd be, it wouldn't be able to walk like that. You'd well, just be sort of shuffling. No wonder they're <laughs> laughing. <laughs> and why was the coffin white? Um, is that the traditional colour of bird coffins? No, the hearse was white. Oh, right, okay. I don't know what colour the coffin was. So why was was the hearse white? I don't know. I'm not Edomino Russomano. I didn't (laughs) bury a canary. Ah, maybe because his singing voice was so pure. You're just clutching the straws there. (laughs) Where on earth have you got that from? The canary's singing voice was so pure, he He deserved a a white hearse. (laughs) What is wrong with you? Right, okay. I'm really torn on this because I know what these old, having researched 
over a hundred facts or something now mm. for this. I know that old newspaper reports tend not to go into an awful lot of detail. Mm. The stuff that you kind of, you know the other person in this game is going to ask you, the, those answers mm. just aren't there. Mm -hmm. So this could, in that sense, have come from an old newspaper report that you've just Googled <laughs> pet funerals <laughs> and, and this has come up. Or you've invented this story and not thought it through enough and you thought, if I, the more details I put into this, the more ludicrous a hole I'm going to dig for myself. Mm. So I'll deliberately keep it quite vague. We're, we're walking a very fine line these days on these facts. Yeah. We're both very mistrustful of each other. Yeah, absolutely. I, as daft as it sounds, I kind of think it could be true. Mm. Because the Mozart Spar Stalin funeral, that had veiled mourners and hymns and a gravestone and all sorts of stuff. Mm. So there is a sort of weird precedent for it. The canary choked on a watermelon seed... <laughs> <laughs> watermelon seed so was it eating the seeds or was it eating a watermelon <laughs> I think it was eating the seeds I don't think it could eat the whole watermelon well I think it's eating a whole watermelon it's holding it the... in its claws <laughs> maybe eating a slice of watermelon no oh, I, I really don't know where to go on this I'm kind of tempted to say that it's true because yes it's ridiculous but the, the other pet funeral stories have been ridiculous mm, and it's true. not as ridiculous as the squirrel giving a eulogy. It's not like you're saying that Excuse the, me. the the canary had written its own... <laughs> it's written its, <laughs> it's last will and it, testament. It, 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 it sung and then it was recorded and it was played at its funeral. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just a funeral procession for someone who loved their pet quite a lot, which mm. is exactly what the Mozart story was. So in that sense, I think it could be true. And I am. I think I'm landing on it being true. I wouldn't be surprised if you've made this up, but I'm. I, it, it is just a, a bizarre story of someone who gave their pet a funeral. So, it, yeah, I'm going to say it's true. Final answer? Yeah. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> Another pet funeral is true. As if. Yes. And I, I mean, it could have sounded like I could have just Googled Italian names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. But apparently, like, if when I saw the pictures of this, like, you you can see the pallbearers; they're absolutely crammed in I was next to say, each other. Yeah, and it's like it's they're really really grainy old newspaper pictures now. Like, you can't really make out what's going on. Right. And apparently, a lot of the national newspapers picked it up and then blew it out of all proportion. Oh right. Okay. So apparently, I think the New York Times might have said there was ten thousand people at the funeral. Oh or something. right. Okay. Sort of word of mouth like a, thing. A five hundred piece band. And yeah. It kind of it, it blew out into all proportion. He did have a funeral for his pet. Canary. Right. Right. And but it did have pallbearers and a white hood. He did have pallbearers, and apparently they were laughing so. Because the newspaper said they were laughing so much. Right. So the local paper in Newark. Right. The reporter who was there said that they couldn't. That they. That the coach drivers were crying with laughter. Oh dear! And you know what? Fair play it was. Exactly, yeah. little Jimmy. Apparently, they've can't remember where he was buried, but it's now been kind of paved over, and they've built a block of apartments or something now. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think a fitting uh... tribute to a favoured bird. <laughs> don't think that that was considered sacred enough ground yeah. to not disturb poor uh, Jimmy. Uh, well, you know, fair play to him. If he, if he wants to do it, let him, let him do it. And you know what? We're going to remember you always, Jimmy. I've already forgotten him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we're going to stay in the United States for my fact, mm-hmm. um, but we're going uh, a bit further away. We're going to Alaska, okay, which is the largest state. It's the most northerly state, and it's also the least densely populated state. About a quarter of a million people live there, but it's 660,000 square miles, which is the equivalent of the population of London being 763. <laughs> That's how sparsely populated it is. Um, yeah, it's also, um, it has a longer coastline than all the other states put together. Which is a bit mad. You mm. kind of don't realise how big it is. Yeah, it's massive, Alaska. Yeah. I've always um, fancied visiting there, though. I kind like, of fancy the Quite like getting out in the wild sort of thing. Yeah. And Not then that I'd survive very long, but... Just leaving you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and Juneau, which is the capital. I thought Anchorage was yeah, the capital, I but thought... Juneau. I've never heard of Juneau before. Yeah. Uh, it's the only state capital that isn't accessible by roads. This can't be true. No, right, is, I'm, call, all I'm completely calling true. BS immediately because I'm sh- Anchorage has to be the capital. No, Anchorage isn't. I thought Anchorage was a capital, but isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. it's Juno, which is there named after a gold prospector or something. Um, really? But cool. the terrain around the city is so sort of mountainous and rugged that the roads network's never connected to it. Mm. So you can only get in by boat or by sort of seaplane. Sensible place for a, a capital then. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but it's a really useful port, apparently. That's how it kind of like grew yeah. up. But there's no roads connecting it. The state flag. Do you know what the state flag is? Uh, I have heard of it, but I've forgotten it. It's now. got the Big Dipper on it. It's got the mm. constellation on it of the plough. And it was designed by a 13-year-old boy in a competition in 1927. The boy was called Benny Benson. <laughs> this is all not true so far. This is all completely <laughs> true. You could have literally gone with these facts. <laughs> yeah. So these are my Alaska facts. And I've got one more from you, which is my yes or BS fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're up in Alaska where the official state sport is snowballing. Okay. Not snowboarding. Okay. Snowballing. Which is, and this is my fact. The very, very first state sport, like an official state sport, was in 1960, which was Maryland. Do you know what their state sport is? This is true, by the way, about oh, Maryland. this is going to be good. Um, their official state sport is jousting. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I have no idea why, but the official state sport of Maryland, honestly, that is true, is jousting. So that was the first one to be adopted, and that kind of set the precedent for other states adopting their version of it. So Alaska, right. um, in 1967, on the 100th anniversary of the Alaska Purchase, decides that they're going to adopt theirs. What have we got a lot of in Alaska? We've got a lot of snow. So for the first two years, they kind of celebrate this just by having a big snowball fight with whoever wants to come along in Anchorage. Okay. But... Two years later, in 1969, they decide, no, it's the official state sport. We need it to kind of be formalized. So there are three rounds in official state Alaskan snowballing. Do you want to know what they are? Oh, I'm sure you're going to tell me. (laughs) The first one is snowball building. So everyone who's taken part has 100 seconds, which is the 100-year thing. They have 100 seconds, which is 1 minute 40, to construct as many snowballs as possible with a minimum circumference of 8.25 inches. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, if you do too many of uh, too many that are too small, then you get disqualified. So the rules are pretty harsh. Uh, 8.25 <laughs> centimetres is the size of a tennis ball. That's why that's been picked. Centimetres or inches? Uh, inches, rather, yeah. 8, 8.25 <laughs> centimetres. <laughs> so tiny. tiny. We like a grain of rice. <laughs> no, 8.25 inches, um, which is, yeah, the size of a tennis ball. So that's kind of used as the <clears throat> yardstick. Um, and three or more undersized ones, and you're out. Oh, okay. I'll be devastated. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's round one. The next one is targeted balling, <laughs> which <laughs> is another autobiography title of yours, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, the snowballs that you've built 
in the first round, you then carry them through to a target range. And there are targets at 10 foot, 20 foot, 40 foot, 80 and 120 foot away from the thrower. Um, And uh, you throw your balls at these (laughs) targets and a panel of judges award points not only for accuracy, but for snow coverage. (laughs) (laughs) So originally these were just archery targets that were sort of put out in this field. Mm -hmm. uh, It all takes place in Anchorage, I should have said. Um, And you just sort of throw in as many of these as possible. Obviously, most people go for the closer targets, uh, but you get more points for them being further away. So you kind of, however talented a thrower you are, uh, you throw your balls, however, (laughs) at, at whatever target you want. To accumulate as many points. But in 2018, there was a bit of a scandal when these uh, targets, well, since the 70s, the targets have been, uh, they haven't been archery targets anymore. They've been like cutouts Mm. of things. So it's been like cutouts of deer and sometimes it's sort of uh, Disney characters and things and all sorts of stuff. Um, But in 2018, they were all cardboard cutouts of uh, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Which caused a bit of a scandal Mm -hmm. at the uh, targeted balling event. (laughs) But um, yeah, so at the, I don't know what they were last year. Uh, it was they hold it every October, mm-hmm. uh, which is the anniversary of the thing. So I don't know. Wh- I don't know whether it was scandalous in 2019, but in 2018, dear me, would you <laughs> get those get those headlines? Uh, and the last one, which sounds like a bit of a free for all, is gauntlet running. Oh, so the spectators get to make their own snowballs, and the people who've taken part have to run down a 100 foot gauntlet being pelted by as many snowballs as possible and uh, the least snow covered person at the end of this is deemed the winner of the gauntlet round it's mm. basically a snowball fight okay um yeah yes. and the person who is least covered in snow at the end uh, is the winner of that round the winner overall you know what they get oh god a place on the council of anchorage <laughs> <laughs> this is BS. <laughs> well, it's mainly just um, like th- th- it's classed as getting freedom of the city's snows. So you basically win ownership of the snow in the city. And the joke being that it's the snow's not there all the time. So basically you kind of don't really win what anything. What a great joke. Yeah, you don't win anything at all. And uh, not many people take up their position on the city council uh, because you don't actually have any powers. You can only just sort of sit there and watch the meetings happen. It's a completely ceremonial position. And the reason being ceremonial because it's open to people from out of state. So you can't have people coming up and, you know, we fly across to Alaska and win this competition and suddenly, <laughs> end, up with, all the snow. <laughs> suddenly end up with an elected position on the Council of Anchorage. Uh, yeah, it's just a ceremonial time. Right. But those are the three rounds I in the official state sport of Alaska. I have a few questions. I want to try and interrogate this one intelligently for a change. Oh, wow. Okay. Switch, it... switch off, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than my usual flailing about in the darkness. <laughs> that can't be true. <laughs> right. So... Let's go to the second round for a moment. Mm-hmm. You mentioned they were targets of 80 feet. 10, 20, 40, 80, 120 feet. 120 feet. Mm. Now, 120 feet in metres. Mm. And a yard's just short of a metre. Mm. So, yeah, it's about 40 metres away. Because mm. I'm trying to think of, like, shot put discus. A shot put? <laughs> How heavy is your snowball? No. no, I'm trying to use it. Like, that's that's my first benchmark. <laughs> right. So, like, shot put, discus, javelin. Javelin gets thrown about 80 metres. People like throwing icicles. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is a, I still think it's a hell of a thing to th- accurately throw a snowball. Well, I think it's, far. yeah, it's, I, I don't think many people hit 
I think it's kind of if you do manage to hit that target, then you know, well done to you. Mm. Um, How many people take part in this? Oh, it, it seems that like it's quite a lot. You know, like the cheese rolling thing mm. that has a sort of massive crowd. Mm. Kind of looks a bit like that. Mm. In that there's, I don't know, maybe about a hundred competitors or something. Just a bit, a bit mental, a bit of fun. It's just a bit random, yeah. Mm. See, this is why I'm starting to question. I'm thinking, <laughs> like I said, I'm... I love how seriously you're taking competitive <laughs> snowball. I throwing. really don't want to get like six nil again. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm terrified of losing again. <laughs> right, so I think it's going to be difficult to throw. It sounds a bit uh, just hey, there's something that tells me this isn't true from the outset. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that little what? face you tend to do, what I do, which may, which then makes me think it is true. I'm just sitting here enjoying your interrogation, right? But again, did how? So when they did they have to measure each? So in the first round, we we'll go back to that one. <laughs> do they have to me- get like a tape measure out and measure eight and a half inches for every one of these snowballs? No, I don't think so. And if you've got to carry these to the next round, <laughs> snowballs aren't known for their structural integrity. Really? Well, I see you're just a weak snowball maker. I've got to compact them. You can pile them up. Uh, but even so, it feels like a lot of them you might lose. Some. How many are you allowed to make? Or as many as you can in the you're, first one? You're interrogating this like we're talking about like the 100 meter Olympic final. <laughs> this is important to me. As it is to them. You're interrogating this like it's there's like lives depending on the outcome of this. <laughs> my my sanity is depending on this. this snowballing event. Ah, oh, right. I think that might be the end of the the deep interrogation. <laughs> <laughs> How many times you hear that in your life? <laughs> I think I'm going to say this is BS. Mm-hmm. I think there's too many holes in this one. Yours. Your theory is melting away in <laughs> before your eyes. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I want to say BS. W- whether you get this right or not, I'm going to take the point off you for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final answer. You think this is yes, BS? Yes. The official sport of Alaska isn't snowballing. It's not. That story. Mm-hmm. It's BS. I knew it. <laughs> the official state sport is dog mushing. I thought it would be something yeah. like that. But I thought, yeah, when I when I found... Well, I was originally going to talk about jousting being the official sport of Maryland, which I thought was quite interesting. But um, no, then I thought, no, I'll do a little twist on it this. It was those distances. Again, it was the 120 yards or You feet. can throw a snowball You can, but it doesn't... Ooh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't really be able to hit a target, I wouldn't have thought. But uh, I, it was like, it, I thought I'll make this sort of ludicrous village show kind of idea. And you were like, but how do they measure the snowballs? It's like as if they take it that seriously. But the thing is, they, they would have have to take it seriously if they've got to, if they've got to expel snowballs that are... Why am I even arguing this? It's not true. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> Why are we even still here? Why would you win a position on the city council? Exactly. This is all ludicrous. <laughs> Next thing. So I'm at least happy it's not going to be a 6-0 whitewash. No, it'll just be 5-1. <laughs> you can prepare for more intense interrogation on your next facts as well. But you might be able to give me some interrogation on this one because oh, here we go. we're going on a bit of an adventure. Right. On this one. We're going on an exciting etymological and historical adventure. Oh, okay. So you might be able to pick apart some right. of my lies. I mean, uh, 
uh, complete truths that I'm going to put together. Absolutely no idea where you're going here. Now, for some context, you might know in a lot of my facts, I tend to refer to like Jeff as like a placeholder name for like, <laughs> oh, you know, and then Jeff the peasant did this. Yes. You've done that for years. That's been, like, been your go-to name. Jeff is my go-to name for like telling a, a joke. generic filler person. It's always Jeff. So we're going to talk about, did you know there was a god called Jeffrey? <laughs> no. Ah, okay. A god? Yes, a god called Jeffrey. In what mythology? He was a Saxon pagan god. Oh, right, okay. From around the six 700s. Now, to get some context, mm-hmm. we're going back to Charlemagne's conquest of the Saxons. Right. Uh, do you know much about Charlemagne? Pfft, look who you're asking. <laughs> right, there we go. I think when I, <laughs> when Charlemagne came up last, I thought you were talking about Constantine. Yes. I got very muddled completely, up. Like, Constantine, the father of Roman Christianity. <laughs> yeah. And Charlemagne, the father of the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, which I also got muddled up. See, I was going to give you a bonus point for when he was crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Who, Charlemagne? Yes. It, you know what? The answer could be 200 or it could be 1780. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go down the middle. I'll go uh, 1490. Well, he'd been dead about 600 years by then. <laughs> so, it was Christmas Day, the year 800. Right, okay. He was crowned. He was crowned Emperor of the Romans. At that time, he owned most of France, most of Germany, right. um, Swedes of northern Italy. So they said, oh, well, you've kind of got a lot of the old Roman territory so we'll call you Emperor of the Romans. Right. So at this time, he was waging a very long war against the Saxons, partly because they were they were invaded because they were pagan. And right. one of Charlemagne's main goals was to Christianize all of Europe. Right. Are these the Saxons that are in modern-day Germany? So it's kind of the lower Saxony area, kind of northwest Germany today. Right. He actually kind of wiped out a lot of the Saxons through... a Kill, kill or convert was basically the policy. But... What, what a slogan. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're going to sell the podcast. <laughs> Do you listen to Yes or BS? No. Well, we're on a kill or convert policy here, everyone. So you'd best get those, get those earphones in. But I know what you're thinking, Paul. Where does the god Jeffrey come into all of this? That wasn't what I was thinking, but never mind. <laughs> well, we're talking about the old Saxon god Godfrid. Oh, right. Okay. Gottfried. Right. Now, in old German, god Obviously, it just means God. Mm-hmm. And Fried, or Frid, is mm-hmm. peace. So, God of peace. Right. But anyway, in 775, the Saxons had an, quite an early victory at the Battle of Altersland. Okay. Which is near modern Hamburg in Germany. Um, so, an emissary called Gottfried, he was, the emissary was named after the God of peace. Right. They sent him to Charlemagne to kind of try and broker a peace treaty. To say, right, we've just beaten you, so we're sending... Someone named after the God of Peace is a sign to say, right, we're going to sign a peace treaty with you. Right. What do you think, Charlemagne? Charlemagne had the emissary killed and his body sent back to the Saxons and said, we ain't done yet. That'll be right. I'm going to try. And then for the next 30 years, he proceeded to try and subdue the Saxons. Good grief. Okay. So that is the yes or BS fact. Was there a God called Jeffrey or <laughs> Godfried? Mm-hmm. In German, which is Jeffrey in English. Yeah. And was there an emissary called Godfried, sent to Charlemagne to sue for peace during the Saxon-Frankish Wars? Right. So the whole thing is yes or BS. Yes. Okay. All those, all those Charlemagne facts up to the point of that battle. Right. And when was this battle? Uh, 775. 775. And it was part of a longer sort of 
very long campaign against campaign. the Saxons. Now, that is true. There was a very long campaign against the Saxons. Yeah. Right. Okay. This all does sound very plausible. Yeah. I've kind of got my etymology head on and it, all the sort of cogs seem mm. to line up, I think, linguistically. Mm-hmm. Godfrey. Yeah, Gottfried, Godfrey, Jeffrey. I can imagine that being a sort of truncated and sort mm-hmm. of mangled version of that. That makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this does all kind of sound plausible, but I know what you're like. And you do keep coming up with Jeff as this go-to <laughs> name. And I can imagine you looking back over what, like listening to old episodes and going for inspiration for new ideas and going, yeah, I'll get him on <laughs> this name that I keep pulling up and make some ludicrous story up because you want to talk about Charlemagne again. Mm. But I don't know. It does sound... Ooh, I don't know. I actually haven't said that. The more I think about it, the more I do think you've kind of just got this out of old episodes and then built some nonsense around mm. it. I can imagine you've maybe looked up what the name Jeffrey means mm-hmm. and seen this connection to something Germanic. Mm-hmm. And then went, oh, I'll say it was a god <laughs> at the time of Charlemagne. <laughs> that, I think, seems more plausible. Yeah. I Ooh, see the cogs whirring in your head there. I think this might be BS. I can, I can see that being the process. That this <laughs> fact you looked at what the name Jeffrey meant and then, and then went the other way rather than looking up what Jeffrey meant and then stumbling randomly across the fact that he used to somehow vaguely be the name of a Saxon god. Yeah, I think you've made this up. I think this is BS. Is that your final answer? I Yes. Uh, yes. That fact is BS. Yes. That was my exact thought process. <laughs> I looked up Jeffrey because I wanted to put Jeff into a fact. I knew it. And... Jeffrey in Old German is Godfrey. Godfrey. It does mean God, peace. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my exact <laughs> thinking on that one. Is it like the fact that it was Charlemagne, it was just all too neat. It was all like, you obviously went, oh, that's what that means. So, yeah, I'll tie it into someone from history that I want to talk about. That would have been a, an absolute coup if I'd got that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. If I'd got you on a Jeff, I want to get another Jeff fact for next time. I'm, so I'm going to try and uh, trump you at your own game here and track down some ludicrous character called Jeff. If there's a Victorian eccentric called Jeff, I'm going to bring him in at some point. Oh, that's got to be true then. <laughs> but oh, well done, Paul. You saw through my... I'm glad I kept myself talking about that because, uh, uh, yeah, I could have gone too quick on I'm that. And so close. You were close that to that one. Well done. Let's see what you've got next, though. Well, well done, Tones. That was an uh, unusual fact, but I'm kind of glad I got the point. Um, now, I, you always have your iPad with your facts on, and I always have a note pad mm, with mine true. on. And I always write a sort of headline at the top of every page. <laughs> you do. And um, we've had, I've had some unusual ones uh, uh, along the course of this podcast, like Impotent Colombians Ate Their Banknotes was mm-hmm. a famous one. And the heading on this page is just <laughs> Socrates loved dancing. <laughs> <laughs> well, who doesn't? And this is my fact. Okay. okay. So Socrates, born uh, sometime around 470 BC in Athens, died uh, in his 70s. Uh, it was quite long lived for time. Do you remember how he died? I can't remember it from your memory, but I, <laughs> well, I don't yes, think you were there. there. Was it him or Aristotle who was executed and then he 
Someone took hemlock. Hemlock, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, Socrates took hemlock and, and poisoned himself. As well as being a philosopher and a very good thinker and all the rest of it, he was also a good sculptor, apparently. And uh, he was a soldier. He was a hoplite in the Peloponnesian War. Ah, well, a yeah, little, little bonus fact Ooh, for come you. On it's them. because uh, the Athens didn't have a standing army at the time. Ah. They would raise a militia. So they, it would just be like the locals, like the potters, the bakers, the candlestick makers. <laughs> <laughs> Butchers, sorry. So, yeah, so anyone who was able-bodied was called into the militia. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, but anyway, I'm just hijacking your fact here. No, no, that's good. I, say, I know that you know your, your Romans and your Greeks and stuff. Sorry, wow, that's oh, interesting. Go on. Um, okay, so not very much of what Socrates did as a philosopher was written down, and a lot of what kind of is attributed to him is kind of not particularly good provenance. He kind of mm. usually faked or made up later. What we do know kind of comes from his two students, who are mm. uh, the famous ones are Plato and Xenophon. And it's from uh, one of the works by Xenophon that we have the knowledge that Socrates love dancing <laughs> okay. okay and this is my fact so uh, apparently they were uh, once at a banquet together with lots of other um, sort of high up Athenian thinkers and all the rest mm-hmm. of it and there was a Syracusan man mm-hmm. there uh, dancing as entertainment for the dinner guests mm-hmm. and uh, Socrates was very taken by this and he said that no portion of his body remained idle neck and legs and hands <laughs> We're all exercised. So he turns to Xenophon and says, that is how a man should dance. <laughs> Who wants to keep his body light and healthy. <laughs> so he turned to the young dancer and said, pray, teach me the steps. This is has to be BS. So there was, of course, now uh, much hilarity among the banqueting guests that uh, this sort of ageing philosopher had asked this young Syracusan professional dancer uh, what his dance steps were. Um, And so uh, so, uh, Socrates goes off on a long kind of uh, defence of of what he was doing and saying, if you dance, it keeps you healthy. And in the course of all of this, he turns to Charmides, who was Mm -hmm. Plato's uncle, who's also a friend of uh, Socrates, and says, remember just the other day, you turned up at my house and I was dancing on my own. (laughs) (laughs) At which point Charmides says, Actually, yes, this did happen. I turned up to see Socrates and he was there in his house. No music, because obviously, just, you know, he, you can't put the radio the music's on. music's in his heart. Yeah, and he's just dancing away all to himself. Um, and this big defence about how it keeps him healthy and how it moves every part of his body and all the rest of it, that's basically what he'd said to Charmides at the time. And Charmides had gone away inspired by this, but because he's not quite, you know, he's not quite as rhythmic as uh, as old Socrates, Charmides decided, you know, I need to do something to keep fit. So he took up shadow boxing. <laughs> right, now I know this is BS. Uh, so, <laughs> and this is all recounted in, in Xenophon that, yes, apparently Socrates, to keep fit, loved nothing other than dancing on his own. <laughs> Are you sure you're not describing like your usual weekends at home by yourself? <laughs> now, there's, a, uh, there's loads of thoughts around my head at the minute. The first one is I really want this to be true because mm-hmm. the thought of 
The way you said that quote, it sounds like Socrates literally was just flailing his arms in the air. I think and... it, it, there is, in the sort of big defense of it that he gives, he talks about how uh, it balances the body out. So if you're mm. a pugilist or a boxer, you get like a big upper, upper body and not, you know, kind of tiny little legs. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so they're so... shadow boxing guys, got little sparrow legs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas he says when you're dancing, it's all about balance and symmetry. So mm. I, I think it wasn't just sort of like flailing around. <laughs> Charmides did say that he thought that when he turned up at his house that he was ill uh, <laughs> and that, that something was going on but it, it just turned out that it, you know he's just he was just busting some shapes uh, you see as well you, you dropped in a fact that there was this dancer from Syracuse now uh-huh. I don't think you would know about Greek connections to Syracuse really Oh, I've, yeah, I know about Syracuse. Oh, well, see, I just assumed you you knew literally nothing about anything. I've written bits and pieces before about place names that ended up in the dictionary. Okay. And a lot of the old places in Athen- in, in Greece um, are in etymologies and stuff. Mm. See, I didn't think you'd be smart enough to have pegged <laughs> Syracuse with... Uh, but now that you've mentioned that, this, uh, this could be a lie, actually. You could have dropped in... The Syracuse Greek dancer connections. Oh, yeah. Well, you know. I could have said he was Laodicean, <laughs> which is another area of ancient Greece, which uh, I think it means apathetic or something like that. Yeah, you see. Oh, yeah, you're, see. Just, you're digging your own hole here, Paul. Why? Because I think, I think this is a lie now. What? You don't think Socrates loved the good old, good old <laughs> bop? I think he might have done, but I don't think Xenophon wrote that quote. <laughs> <laughs> what you he... think I wrote that quote? I think you wrote that quote in Starbucks before I came over here. I think you did. What was the quote again? So p- picture the scene. I am right. The well... the young Syracusan man is dancing away and mm-hmm. entertaining everyone at this banquet, and Socrates turns to Xenophon while they're sat on the settee or something in this room, and says, <laughs> "Look, no portion of his body remains idle." <laughs> Neck, leg, and hands are all exercised. That is how a man should dance. <laughs> this has got you all over it. I think it... Yeah, I was almost convinced this was true because I would love it to be true. And I think you're playing on my love of these sort of things and mm-hmm. you've gone BS. Okay. And that is my final answer. Okay. You think I made that quote up? I think you made that quote up. Okay. Socrates wasn't flailing around at home. <laughs> Final answer. Final answer. That entire story mm-hmm. is true. <laughs> Socrates loved a bop. He loved really? a dance, and everyone laughed at him for it. And it he went on a. You can read it in in. I think it's in the symposium. No part of his body was. Yeah, no part of his body was idle. That is how a man should dance. <laughs> that is how we end that fact. <laughs> Right, well done, Paul. I've now got the image of Socrates dancing wildly in yeah. my head. And uh, learning the steps of a Syracusan dance. <laughs> what an adventure it was in the past. Uh, yeah, dear me. But moving on to my last and final fact today. Right. Now, um, I was recently on jury service. <laughs> yeah, which, you were. Which has inspired this fact. I'm oh, not going go, to go into the details of the case. The <laughs> yeah, get, get instantly taken down. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, the defendant, his name was... <laughs> so anyway, then this happened. Well, actually, it was funny because I think uh, you were the defendant, Paul. Oh, here we go. You were on uh, trial for crimes against literature, I believe. Have you built that entire fact around making that joke? I have. And that's, I just, I, I'm just going to give you a point and move on. <laughs> but 
being on jury service got mm-hmm. me to thinking about the law and kind of various strange laws that have been throughout oh, history. Oh, right, okay. But actually, first, did you know a quick fact about juries? In the 1200s, the 12 jurors were originally connected to the crime, well, connected to the defendant in some way. Oh, right. And they were tasked with investigating the crime themselves. Oh, this rings a bell, actually. So yeah. So you have like 12 Sherlock Holmes-style medieval peasants kind of walking around the village <laughs> with a magnifying glass saying, at what time did you leave the inn? <laughs> they should bring that back. I That'd think be comedy. Should. I would have enjoyed Jewish service a lot more if I was allowed to go and investigate uh, the crime. Well, yes. But again, as we know, you were, you were guilty of those crimes against literature in the end. <laughs> The only good thing about that was that you, as part of the trial, you would have to read my book. <laughs> that was the real crime. <laughs> but moving on to some strange laws. Right. Uh, I'm going to tell you, these are some real laws. Okay. Did you know, according to Section 12 of the 1872 Licensing Act, it is illegal to be drunk in a pub? <laughs> And this still stands today. Oh, wow. So we're lucky this isn't enforced, Paul. Otherwise, we'd, uh, we'd be in a pauper's jail by DMA. now or something. Or I the... think we've uh, <laughs> we've maybe brought in that one a couple of times. <laughs> we'll be in the workhouse. <laughs> um, another fun little law. This, this one was enacted in 1541. Right. All Englishmen aged between 17 and 60 were required to own a longbow and practice using it for two hours every week. This was only repealed in 1960. Good grief. So uh, that sounds quite a lot of fun, actually. You but... practice a long bow, two hours a week. Yes. That's quite a long time. When I was researching the Alaska fact, um, I came across that really famous one of it's illegal to uh, look at a moose from a plane in Alaska, <laughs> which is apparently true. But when I read that, it's also like it's on the statute book because it's illegal to push a moose out of a plane. <laughs> well, I, <It's> like... <laughs> I assume it'd be illegal to push anything yeah, like, out of a plane, except a parachutist. What's, what's happened for that to be specific? specifically outlawed like if someone tried to get a moose onto a plane and then push it out first of all aren't moose enormous they're immense like, yeah I, I like i know it's I like think you think like... a horse is big a moose is massive anyway <laughs> but we're on to my final law now right so this is the s or bs okay so as you might know in 1789 there was the french revolution Mm-hmm. And a famous symbol of the French Revolution was Marianne, who I think is based on the goddess of liberty. Oh, yes. Right. She's on the back of the French... Uh, um, French coins. It's a sort of Britannia kind of figure, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. She's got... She's most famously seen in that painting where she's holding the flag up. Yeah. French Revolution. She's like, okay, come on, lads. We can do <laughs> is that a direct quote? <laughs> come a- on, lads. Allez les garçons. <laughs> right. I think that's... Sorry for my... No, she said it in English, didn't she? (laughs) Yeah, anyway, we know who you're talking about. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, Marianne, symbol of the French Revolution. Okay. Who was based on Goddess of Liberty, I think. Right. So afraid of these symbols of liberty were Mm -hmm. the British at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were all about traitors and clamping down on treasonous behaviour. So in 1803, it was made treason to depict any female in artwork in the manner of Marianne the French symbol of the Republic. Oh, right. So any painter that even looked like her, that was evidence, the government says, of sedition. But this also applied to any newspaper cartoons as well, or any image at all. So you just couldn't portray her at all because of what she represented. And the artist would be arrested for high treason and hanged. Oh, wow. If they were found guilty of portraying Marianne in a seditious manner. Oh, wow. 
Good grief. Uh, it was never enforced because it's incredibly difficult to interpret an image to say that, yes, that is definitely mm. Marianne. And has it been repealed? It is still on the books today. Ah, okay. So and there'd that's... be a lot of people in trouble off that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So that is my fact. Right. This, this also sounds really plausible because, yeah, they would sort of... I can imagine in those sort of heightened times that mm. they'd want to sort of keep an, keep an eye on anything that could be deemed as kind of inflammatory, I guess, and, yes, yeah, seditious in, mm. in however you choose to define that. So, yeah, I can imagine this being true. The question is, would it still be on the statute books? Yes, I can imagine. When was this law brought in? Uh, 1803, around the time the Napoleonic Wars started. Right. So this okay. was a British law because they didn't want to stir up rebellious or revolutionary behaviour in, in Britain. Britain, okay. So Britain would have banned a symbol of the French Revolution. <sighs> this is a difficult one. It's mm. kind of not madcap enough to completely <laughs> say yes. Like, Are you saying all my lies have to be <laughs> ultra madcap? There's, there's nothing in it, can it? Right. Um, oh, this is difficult. I can see me getting this one wrong. But I think it might be true. Final answer. But would England have been bothered that much about something that was in France? That is difficult, but I'm going to say this is true. Final answer. Yes, I think I've got that wrong, but yes. This law is BS. I made it all up. Oh, no. Oh, wow. It sounds like something that they would have done. Yeah. What I had in my head is like whether Britain would have been that fussed about a French symbol. Oh, I'm sure they were infinitely more petty things both yes. the French and the English did during the Napoleonic Wars that uh, would true. pale in comparison. <laughs> that was a good fact. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but yes. Very much poor. I was kind of going a bit easy on the last fact. Yeah. Is that two, um, three to you? Yes. So okay. could end in a draw. Could end in a draw. I'm fine. Right. Right. Let's see if I can pull this episode back after okay. last week's horror. Okay, so last fact. This is for the game, technically, mm-hmm. Ben. Because, uh, yeah, either you can pull this to a draw or it's going to be a second defeat for you. Mm. Um, okay, so uh, given that sort of importance of this point, um, I don't know whether to feel confident or, or a bit on shaky ground that um, I'm going to talk about Japan. Oh, yeah, now, okay. um, long-time listeners will know that uh, you, Anthony, lived in Japan for three years. It was three until years. Until you were ejected from the country. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was a very successful teacher over there. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have said very successful. <laughs> or successful. You held down a job for a few years. Yeah. I was employed for, <laughs> a, for now, a time. Yeah, now you're absolutely fluent in Japanese, aren't you? Oh, far from it. <laughs> I've, I've forgotten almost everything there. Um, yeah, well... It, um, it does your uh, surviving vocabulary of Japanese include the word yokai? It doesn't. Ah, if the, uh, yokai is a sort of class of monsters in Japanese folklore. Oh, this does ring more of a bell. Okay. Um, it's a sort of umbrella term for all sorts mm. of different creatures that exist in sort of Japanese folklore, mm. a couple of which I have examples Ooh. of here. And um, there's an obake. You'll you'll have to correct me on my pronunciation here. That's about right, Obake. Right. My pronunciation was terrible anyway. It's a sort of shape-shifting creature. Yes, this does ring a ah, bell. Ah, right. Um, what about a juboko? Mm, doesn't ring a bell, that That one. literally means tree child. Does that sound right? Ah. Or something like that. Um, apparently, it grows in battlefields and it uh, soaks up blood. Again, these are all ringing really, uh, very right. bells. And it's it's years, off blood. Yeah. years since I've... 
looked into any of it. Um, there's one called Gasha Dukuru, um, which literally means starving skeleton, apparently. Oh, that? oh based it on you then. <laughs> <laughs> I am always hungry. I'm also 15 times larger than a normal person. Which is... <laughs> um, and they were made of the bones of people who starved to death and not been buried. Oh, jeez. No, That's no, pretty, no, anyway, we'll get, get straight yeah. into this pretty dark territory again here. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also one called a Sukumogami, uh, which literally means tool deity. Um, and apparently there's a tradition that on uh, something gets passed from generation to generation. On its 100th birthday, it becomes... Animate things like old kind of grandparents' umbrellas, things <laughs> suddenly become animate when they've been owned by a family for a hundred hundred years. And I really feel like I missed out on the cultural experience over there because I don't remember yeah. any of this. Well, you need to get yourself back over there. I was mostly just in Basel at the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah, but there is in Japanese folklore a creature called a kappa, uh, which literally means river demon. Mm. Is this really oh, another one based on yourself? <laughs> Um, well, yeah, it is based on me because it's uh, a, a water demon with webbed hands and feet, mm-hmm. uh, scaly skin, <laughs> long shaggy black hair, usually cut <laughs> into a kind of bowl cut, and a beak or a beak-like mouth. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Got you down pat. R- roughly child-sized. <laughs> You're definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is a kappa or river demon. Hmm. And um, that isn't the only thing I'm going to tell you about the river demons of Japan, because I have five little facts about the kappa. Um, and this is my yes or BS. Ooh, so is it? I... It's not five points. No, oh, I'm just going to tell you about the the... The life and times and hobbies and interests of the, ja- <laughs> the Japanese... The hobbies of the water demons. <laughs> you don't know where we're going yet. Oh, um, with About the, uh, the lovely day in the life of a, of a Japanese water demon. Okay. Okay. They're, they're quite dangerous. They're, they're said, to sort of, <laughs> said to sort of pull people <laughs> into water and uh, and attack them and things. So it's you said that in such a nonchalant way. Oh, they're quite dangerous. Really. I've never seen one on a David Attenborough program, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, apparently they're said they're quite malevolent. But the, if you treat them with respect, they can be quite helpful. So yes or BS. On this all is, this five is of these yeah. This facts. is the some facts about the kappa. Hmm. Uh, on the top of their head. They have a, a small bowl-like indentation, mm-hmm. and this holds a small amount of water, uh, which is the because they live in the water. Uh, th- this water that's kept in their head bowl mm-hmm. is sort of the source of their power. Mm-hmm. So when they come out on land, uh, if this water evaporates, then the cap is doomed. Or what if they trip over? Or it spills, <laughs> then they're they're out of there. So what do they do if Get they a have bit to of cling film over the top? Or? They wear metal helmets oh. when they're uh, moving around on on land. And if you see a, a kappa struggling in the sun as it while its little bowl shaped <laughs> head is is evaporating, apparently if you top it up, it'll do a favor for you. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that's one one thing about them. They have a, a bowl shaped indentation full of water, which is their life source on their heads. But unfortunately, the the, the kappa is uh, obsessed with two things. One of them is sumo wrestling, and the other is <laughs> politeness. <laughs> right. This this can't be true. So. Um, if you're being attacked by uh, by a kappa, it, it chances are it's going to challenge you to a sumo wrestling match. <laughs> but remember, they're obsessed with politeness as well as sumo wrestling, and they have a life-giving bowl of water on top of their heads. Mm-hmm. So what you do at the start of a sumo wrestling game is you bow to your opponent, 
And if you bow, the kappa is obliged because it loves politeness to bow back, I'm... thus <laughs> spilling its life-giving water, allowing you to escape. I'm starting to see a really crucial flaw in this ball of water. What about its helmet? Why doesn't that stop anything? Uh, well, maybe it's just forgotten to put it on. Or it's so obsessed with politeness when it meets you, it raises it. I don't know. Yes, they also have easily detachable limbs. Oh, of course they do. Um, so if you take one by surprise, uh, its arm, say, for instance, if you grab it, would detach. And <laughs> uh, it will ask for the limb back. <laughs> And if you give it back, of course, it's very polite. If you give it back, it'll again, it'll do you a favour. It won't attack you. What? There's so much wrong about this. Are you keeping up? I am. Now, what do you think it likes to eat? Oh, it'll be something really weird. Well, it's normal diet because it's quite a malevolent demon. This this kappa children is is children. That's um, or, or blood or internal organs, and apparently it has a, a special likeness for livers. Ooh. It'll catch you and gobble your liver up. <laughs> liver and breadcrumbs. Uh, but it, they're not its favourite delicacies. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's at a buffet table and there's ch- <laughs> children and and livers, <laughs> organs, and organs and blood, it'll always bypass all of those because its favourite food is cucumbers. <laughs> so, imagine you, there's there's a kappa in the water, but you want to go for a swim. What do you do? You write your name on a cucumber and throw it in the water, and the kappa will leave you alone. <laughs> Okay. Well, you could just not go for the swim. No, well, hey, if you want to go for a swim, you, you're going to go for a swim. Get that but, cucumber. You know, get that cucumber out and write your name on it. Um, but that's not the only thing that it's after. It, it's it's obsessed with politeness. It loves its cucumbers. But uh, it also um, is obsessed with a magical duel that contains the human soul, which mm-hmm. is said to be kept in the anus. <laughs> So when it attacks you from the water, it might attack you on a toilet. <laughs> so they're said to inhabit uh, plumbing systems. And while you're there doing Wait what you bit. need to do. How big is this? <laughs> it's gone from being able to fight a sumo wrestling match to being in the U-bend of a toilet. Interested in, <laughs> in getting, pl- plucking getting your, up in there. Pl- plucking your jewel. Um, yeah, there's a set of gemstone that's said to be located in the uh, derriere. And that's what it's after more than anything is uh, is your it's <laughs> is your very, anus jewel. The, it's the very center a... of your being. That's what it wants more than so anything. It loves cucumbers, anuses, anuses, and politeness. Right. Do you go on. Is that all of the that's, facts? Uh, that's all my facts about the uh, Kappa River demon. Let me summarize of here. Japan. So he lives in the water, yeah. scaly skin. Gangly. Webbed feet, about the size of a child, has a sort of 1960s beetle shaggy black bowl cut haircut. Has a little tin hat for when he's on land. Tin hat to keep the water which on I his head. Which I picture like some sort of World War One soldier's helmet. Yeah, perhaps. So if, if but if he challenge, oh, he's seen someone, I fancy eating their liver or finding their anus jewel. Mm-hmm. He comes running over. You go, stop, Kappa demon. I challenge you to a sumo wrestling match. He said, mm-hmm. oh, bollocks, not again. Mm-hmm. And you must bow. If you bow, he has to bow because he doesn't, he, he's, he's, he's so, so polite. polite. So he's so polite at the point he would have killed you and eaten your liver 
and rummaged around in your backside for a duel. Mm-hmm. But he's but if you bow, you're all right. It, it, yeah, and if he, you've got a cucumber with you, it, oh, it, it, quid's in quid's there. In. He's got. Oh, you could pull his arms off and give them back to him for a favor. <laughs> yeah, or top his water up. There is literally no way to interrogate this. <laughs> what? <laughs> what can I possibly say that would catch you out on this? Because it's all nonsense. That being said, I think there's too much effort in here for this to be a lie. Like, if it was just you making it up, there would have been, like, three facts. I've ratcheted up the nonsense with each coming fact. But because there's five, I think this is true. Okay. And because they're so ludicrous. But it sounds like you've literally just plucked Japan, bowing, sumo wrestlers... (laughs) I don't know where you've got the other facts from, but... Uh, That's just my fertile mind. Yeah, I think I'm going to say this is true. Okay. I think the Kappa Demon exists and lives in the U-Bend. That might explain why there's so many cucumbers next to your toilet. <laughs> <laughs> final answer? That is my final answer. This is true. If you've made this up, you're insane. <laughs> Absolutely insane if you've made this up. Final answer? Final answer. Please don't have made this up. The Kappa Demon is completely true. Because ah, I, uh, I was researching this when I found out that there's a thing that searches back passages for things mm. um, and that people have sort of, like, it, it looks like the people have sort of concrete models of them in their gardens and stuff. Really? Um, so I was kind of worried that you might already have, no. <laughs> have, have struggled with a Kappa while you were over there. It's, I'm so culturally ignorant. <laughs> But no, all of that is true. Like the, uh, that, it goes Exodus. after a sort of bum duel and um, <laughs> loves sumo wrestling and politeness. What a way to finish <laughs> yeah, today! We, we went out with a went out with a bang, bang. Really. Yeah, and it's three all after three all this season back. Thankfully, after <sighs> ended on a draw, embarrassment. Yeah. So what else did we learn apart from Kappa Demons this week? Uh, yeah, well, the, uh, unfortunately, snowballing isn't the uh, official sport of Alaska, but we do know that Socrates loved a good bop oh. on his own with his own head mu- head music going on. That was my favourite fact. Yeah, a good old dancer, Socrates. We learned that uh, Geoffrey wasn't a Saxon god. Alas. And Marianne wasn't an illegal symbol. <laughs> but my first fact was true, though, about uh, oh, little yes. Jimmy the Canary. Yes who you said you'd already forgotten, and it seems like I've almost forgotten <laughs> The people well. who buried him forgot him so much, they built a building on, on top of him. <laughs> poor Jimmy. Oh, poor Jimmy. We remember you today, Jimmy. I'm adding that to the list of where we're going to record the Yes or BS. We've got loads of places now. <laughs> yeah, where was that? Is in New Jersey. New Jersey. Right. We're, we're going to honour your memory, Jimmy. Right. And we'll, we'll, Paul will sing you a Canary song. And I'll tell you where else we can go. We can go to the capital of Alaska, which has no roads. <laughs> do it. So we'll tune in next time when we'll be live from... I've forgotten the name of the capital of Alaska, but that's where we'll be live from. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. 